this is uh, going to sound made up, but it's actually true. I had, uh, not to get too personal, but had negotiated uh, extensively with my wife uh, that I was taking time off, and I actually was had enough foresight. I had been in Interstellar, and then Chris put me on ice for a couple movies, so <laughs> I, I wasn't think, in the rotation, just, just but I actually negotiated in couples therapy, this is a true story, <laughs> the one caveat to my taking time off was if Chris Nolan called, and I, this is without knowing whether or not he was working on anything, because he never tells you, like Killian, he just calls you out of the blue, yeah. it was a moment in my household, but... Uh, so even <laughs> modern psychology has a caveat? For Chris. <laughs> for Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. And we wrap up our trilogy this month with what we are dubbing as the Objects of Terrible Power. And I'm very excited to be talking about a new release. We're talking Oppenheimer, the latest Chris Nolan film. And before we even get to this, I know, Mike, that you are not a fan of biopics. Correct. And so I was kind of surprised that this one ended up on our slate is there a biopic out there that you do like? Um, I'm not going to say it's definitive, but one that comes to mind you're, if you're putting me on the spot is uh, Without Limits, which is about the uh, runner, the track star, Steve Prefontaine. And there was <clears throat> two uh, Steve Prefontaine movies. It was the uh, Armageddon Deep Impact sort of effect, uh, also in the late the late 90s. Um, and this one, Without Limits, I believe was the Robert Town one, and it starred uh, Billy Crudup, and the other one was, I believe, Jared Leto, and I did not care for that one, if I even watched it, or if I just said, this is, I only need one Prefontaine movie, and I chose correctly. <clears throat> so that is to say, probably if I don't know much about the person, I tend to enjoy the film version of their lives uh, more. I also don't really want too much of their childhood. I can't stand it. Like, uh, if there's someone that I do deeply respect, uh, I don't know if there's a book on Richard Linklater or something. I'll, I'll play to our fans who love when we do Richard Linklater movies. Uh, they also love when we do Woody Allen movies, but I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm reading a book on Richard Linklater, I really don't give a fuck about what he was doing when he was six to eight years old, because I tend to think that all kids do the same stuff. Six, eight, unless they were Doogie Hauser, um, you know, they, they were kids, whatever. Um, I know that goes against our other movie god, Quentin Tarantino, who would tell you that he like had a definitive list of like his favorite films at the age of six or whatever. Oppenheimer suffers a little bit of that. It starts with the, uh, you know, not getting along with the, the teacher and, uh, let me poison the apple or whatever. But and I hated that, hated it. I'm like, Oh God. And it thankfully doesn't go on for very long. Um, but you're right. Normally I do not. I think Oppenheimer probably falls in the uh, without limits category. And I didn't really know too much about the man. So uh, that was going to be 
fun or as as fun as you know creating uh, basically worldwide paranoia and devastation for uh certainly uh Japan um can be if you're talking about like Bohemian Rhapsody or the Whitney Houston thing they did I don't care. I mean, they were famous. They were famous and they made a lot of cool music. And that's, that's, I don't really need to see two hours of, of that necessarily. And if you have anything that's revealing or shocking, I feel like it's, um, kind of like stepping over someone's grave at times, uh, as being a little trashy. Uh, what's not trashy is Florence Pugh naked. <laughs> that's not trashy at all. <laughs> Agreed. I agree. I was, I don't think that I even knew that she was in this movie. And I was like, oh, okay, I get to see some Florence Pugh. I didn't realize how much Florence Pugh I was going to see. So uh, that was very, um, uh, it was was a gift from the gods. Uh, Awesome, awesome scene. Although I will say, as much as I enjoyed it, it really felt out of place. Um, Nope. I don't have any reasons, and I don't care what your reasons are. No. (laughs) Just definitive. (laughs) That's fair. I think that the first couple hours of this film were a bit slow for me. I do know a little bit about Oppenheimer and, and kind of the making of the bomb. I was really more interested in seeing how the country turned him into persona non grata and, and screwed him over essentially his reputation and, and turning him into essentially a communist uh, or excuse me, framing him to be a communist. And so that's what I was more interested in. Uh, and kind of that's what happened. Yeah, the first couple hours were, I mean, they were by the numbers. I know it's it's not quite by the numbers because it's a Nolan film. I mean, sometimes they're literally by the numbers because that's what he hung the entire marketing on was the countdown to Oppenheimer Day. <laughs> yes. And damn, damn if Barbie didn't come and just <laughs> drink his fucking milkshake. <laughs> Certainly. It still suffers from what every biopic suffers from, you know, uh, and... I think what Nolan is trying to do is for the entire three hours is trying to keep this immense gravitas to every single scene. Every single thing has to be epic. But the trouble with that is when there is something epic, naturally something exciting, then it doesn't feel any more heightened than the rest of the scenes. And so it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I agree with you. Uh, Testing a nuclear bomb for the first time I'd seen Florence Pugh naked. So I was just like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The movie peaked too soon. (laughs) Way too soon. Um, And I do know that, you know, there was a whole hoopla about how like they actually, you know, non CGI worked on uh, something of a bomb to try and get that footage. That's great and all, but honestly, I, I, I wasn't that impressed. There's a 1981 TV documentary called The Day After Trinity uh, that's quite good. It's like 90 minutes long, and it does what Oppenheimer, I think, is trying to do. Uh, but it does it more effectively because it's ultimately a documentary, and you actually get to see uh, not not him, but Frank Oppenheimer, his brother. Half the time. Frank. Half the time, Nolan. <laughs> a man who loves his stopwatch. Come on now. <laughs> and you get actual footage of a nuclear test and i mean that's great i'm glad that he could recreate it all but to see actual footage of this shit is haunting you know you actually get to see uh, a japanese people who had suffered through it and and trying to put their lives back together um 
dealing with the injuries. And and that's that's the kind of stuff that wasn't in Oppenheimer. Granted, we got a great shot of Killian Murphy uh, really distressed at seeing footage, but we never got to actually see the footage. So I do wonder how responsible that is to really show uh, the consequences of the bomb. So for me, this project felt very much kind of like, you know, Nolan's take on a biopic, but I don't think he's playing to his strengths in this movie. Wait, are you saying it doesn't have Batman in it? So <laughs> <laughs> Nolan's not doing what he should be doing? <laughs> not at all. This isn't the prestige. I think people are claiming this as, I think, the best Nolan film. Well, at least a lot of people. I've been seeing it very high on the list. I, I, I did watch a bunch of Nolan films leading up to this just because I was like, let me get in the mood. We already already talked about Interstellar and a few other things. So I was like, you know what? Let me bust out Memento and and Insomnia, something I haven't seen in, in a long, long time. The Prestige, I haven't really revisited in some time either. And so I was happy. Spoiler alert. Two out of those three are on our schedule for the rest of the year. So <laughs> we know how to double dip. And hopefully the numbers will follow. <laughs> Hashtag Oppenheimer, even though it has nothing to do <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with the episode. So, yeah, um, I, I felt kind of on the outside looking in with a lot of the reports of, like, oh, this is his best thing. This is his masterpiece. Is it? I don't know. I will say the last hour was fantastic because it kind of went into the procedural. You know, it, it dipped its toe into the, the Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin a uh, Steve Jobs type movie where you're watching a couple things happening uh, uh, back and forth. Um, and uh, even in the mu- the music is at this point where I'm like, okay, now he's ramping up. This is the climax of the... F- Brilliant. I think the last hour, it got me. I think the journey to it was not as exciting. Again, Florence Pugh, give that woman all the awards. But everything else, uh, I, I, there, was a, there was a weird disconnect. For me, I, I had a little time to have a personal reflection. Not only, you know, you made me think uh, during your half of it, and also, admittedly, uh, I had a little bit of time during Oppenheimer because it's a, <laughs> it's a little bit of a lengthy set. So I had the uh, heated seats, thankfully, at the theater. But I also thought, not to to bang on that drum again with Florence Pugh. Uh, you know, he <laughs> doesn't chase the girl and goes on to reshape the world in history. Is the film saying? that the world will be better off with a pervert like me. It was like, well, this is it. <laughs> I'm stopping exactly what I'm doing. I don't care about further research. I'm just going to be totally domesticated and it's me and Flo. <laughs> That's it <laughs> from here on out. <laughs> he, he did, you know, the, for, for all the, the nerdy stuff about Oppenheimer and, and the fact that he's a physicist, a theoretical physicist at that. So no cool experiments, all, all about thinking, Boy, he's kind of a player, is he not? Like, they really leaned into that. Yeah, they. I guess that's historically accurate to a point, although he's he's an odd-looking bird, for sure. I mean, he looks more like a serial killer than a Lothario. <laughs> uh, you know, he's got those piercing eyes. And I, I don't know if it's like, a, <laughs> you know, Norm MacDonald has a bit that if you look at any sort of old-timey photograph that the person either looks really like annoyed or like surprised. And like, so that's all I was seeing was like, you know, American Prometheus, you know, the cover or pictures of Oppenheimer. That's what he looks like. There's always sort of like, like paparazzi just like caught him as he's like, you know, disrobed or something. So it's hard to gather, like, I guess how attractive uh, people were at the time. 
But certainly, in, in the film version, you have Florence Pugh and you have Emily Blunt, who you settle for. I mean, I, I'm putting that in air quotes. Emily Blunt, who is uh, fantastic here, is you know here in her uh, her role as the uh, I guess the homestead. And we talked a little bit on the Interstellar episode that I didn't really care for like the characterization or the way the Anne Hathaway role was written, like. There's a uh, philosophy that she has to sort of like present to our main character, uh, but she has to look like an idiot <laughs> doing it in Interstellar before he comes around, uh, you know, at the end. I think that for the most part is missing here. And I don't know if it's because we're using a real historical figure. And so we have the obvious hindsight of like, okay, once this process is done, once he accomplishes his mission, uh boy, did he make the world effectively a, a worse place. The, you know, his dream of if we create this, it, he knew it would be bad and devastating, but that it would be so devastating that any sane leader in the world would be like, well, we can't. We can't do this because then it's the end of us all. And he, I guess, had just too much faith in humanity or reason that uh, people will do so. Um, thankfully, a lot of the, I guess common sense is put in the words delivered by Emily Blunt here, who does have a fantastic, as you said, once you get into the procedural aspect, fantastic sequence of basically cut the shit, uh, which I, I, I love. And if they're doing, you know, the Oscars, uh, I wish they would go back to doing the clips. That would be like an Oscar clip. Emily Blunt's yeah. sit down dialogue. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the, the, the film feels very montage -y. And I feel like there's a lot of clips you could use for, you know, everybody. Everybody has an Oscar clip in this. Even people I didn't expect. Casey Affleck pops up. Gary Oldman pops up into the movie. I was like, what are they doing here? They get Playing an Oscar clip. Two assholes. They basically come in like, hey, you're going to be a horrible asshole here. One of you is going to be the president, and one's going to be like a shadowy, like, uh, cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files. But you're both going to be complete jerks, sinister jerks. And they were great. I mean... If I'm an actor, if I'm Gary Oldman or Casey Affleck, and I'm like, well, I'm not Oppenheimer. It's like, uh, you know, Pam Greer getting the Jackie Brown script that uh, QT Center, and it says you're playing Jackie Brown, and you see Jackie Brown on the title page. Uh, if I'm not that, if I'm not Oppenheimer, I don't want to be one of the fucking scientists. I don't want to be in the bullpen kicking this thing around, how we're going to, like, kill thousands upon thousands of people. <laughs> I want to be Casey Affleck threatening Oppenheimer. <laughs> I want to be Gary Oldman as the president saying, stop being such a fucking pussy and get out of my office. <laughs> Those are the lines I want. I, I feel like this was an ADR line, but he called him a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, funny. like you, I uh, I went to Peacock after Oppenheimer and found a uh, documentary that I assume will be on the disc version of Oppenheimer because it had Christopher Nolan's involvement. And it's, you know, kind of part of the universal marketing arm uh, for Oppenheimer. Uh, that apparently is uh, historically accurate. I don't know if he said it in Oppenheimer's presence, but he said it to another uh, member of his staff. Uh, it's like he didn't want to see that fucking crybaby again. So... Uh, you know, that's just, that's just great stuff. And Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman playing a jerk. Come on, man. That's just like, you know, you, you just let the man, uh, let the man work. You just give him the ball and just let him what rub his little palms together. Like just smirk at him the entire time. God, Truman just does not come across as a, a very nice man. That, that is a, that is the legacy that is probably would make you detest Oppenheimer as, you know, we've had some. I mean, recent bad years with a fucking idiot in the White House. 
But even then, what was he looking at saying like, oh, these people will be smart enough not to do it? <laughs> no, it's like, what's next? <laughs> Where's my uh, next version of the nuclear bomb? Where's my iPhone 15 nuclear bomb? I want it now. Like, And if you're not going to do it, someone else will. Like the guy that directed Good Time. <laughs> 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 Benny sobbed. I was so happy. Again, like like I said, really looked into all the people who were in this. So when I saw him up there, I was like, oh, fantastic. I was thrilled to see him uh, uh, in the movie. Uh, I was also happy to see Jack Quaid as Richard Feynman. And Feynman's one of those personal heroes of mine. Um, I absolutely uh, adore his his work. Um, he wrote two awesome – I don't know if it's wrote. I think it was like written – like dictated to somebody else written down for him uh surely you're joking mr Feynman. uh adventures of a curious character Feynman's an awesome theoretical physicist uh and really i i as much as i love his work in physics i actually love his work as an educator he was somebody who was very anti uh here are some facts and regurgitate them to me he really wanted people to learn and that's something that i i took very seriously and i continue to take seriously uh in my career and hopefully in in a future career um awesome guy uh bongos you see a jack quay playing bongos in the movie and that is something that uh richard Feynman used to do like i i have a, a copy of the Feynman lectures on quantum physics and very quickly i start to not understand it because you have to have a certain level of math and physics to get it all but i just love his cadence and his enthusiasm so um yeah th this movie was very very cool uh, uh in terms of uh, kind of seeing a lot of the scientific heroes um of of my of my educational career um and and all the people who played them but web how much did you hate this movie what, no, what are you not no, saying no. what are you not saying web <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking around I mean, you knew i was going to mention florence Pugh naked you knew that's my bit that's and you're you're talking about like yeah you know jack quaid's playing this guy who played bongos and that's really cool and i really like him but i'm not really saying what i think about the movie <laughs> Honestly, I think the most hateful thing I can say about this movie, because it's a Nolan film, it's just it felt kind of meh to me. That's that ultimately <laughs> it. Two thirds of it. I really liked the last hour. It really ramped up really, really nicely. And also, I loved how uh, the, the reveal of Oppenheimer and Einstein's conversation were so not about uh, Strauss, uh, Downey's character in the film. Loved that as well. And let's, let's talk about Downey real quick. Did you see this as kind of his uh, star, not star making, but maybe this is the Oscar performance. Is he going to get recognition? That's what a lot of people said uh, as the movie was uh, on its way uh, to release date. I, I just feel like he's always downy in, in some regards. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see it. I mean, that may be people saying, thank God you're not doing Iron Man or attempting to do Iron Man. And there was a little bit of a... Uh... Apology to her, not for, you know, the MCU, which I think, you know, uh, he really can't speak ill of because um, it, it made him, you know, there's generational wealth as far as what he gained by putting on the Iron Man suit. Uh, I did see him uh, say that uh, Doolittle was a mistake that he won't make again and uh, he, that he shouldn't chase, like, franchise filmmaking. Shouldn't chase another franchise just because he was the one very successful one. But I think it's just, it's probably overstating it a little bit that it's like, oh, you're you're an actor who's acting again. <laughs> that seems to be what people are just happy with. Like, you're just playing a part. Um, I didn't really get that myself. As I said, Emily Blunt is sort of the one that 
stuck out the most to me, but she's also like, you know, you talked about Oscar moments. Um, it reminded me of the insider, uh, in a way, which is also a very talky movie. Um, and they, it's different because this one has the usual Christopher Nolan structural trickery, uh, to try to deceive you in this little song and dance. And, um, I'm actually a little surprised with it because I think, you know, you've, you've sort of hinted at in our text conversations that you're like, man, I think you're not going to be on opposite ends of this Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> I think this is worse than Tenet. <laughs> it made me, me want to watch Tenet again and be like, is this Tenet better than Oppenheimer? <laughs> I don't think it's that bad as Tenet. I don't think you can get worse than Tenet. Because at least this film was, it wasn't straightforward, but it was more straightforward than, than Tenet. I mean, you know, watch Tenet with subtitles on, for sure. The audio mix is, you know, kind of garbage. They're wearing masks and all that. Um, I, I am, I mean, I'm being a little facetious because I wasn't a huge fan of Tenet. I mean, honestly, though, I like this and Tenet more than Insomnia. I don't remember much caring for Insomnia. Uh, I don't really think I liked Al Pacino and Robin Williams in those those roles. Um, and that was upon initial release. I hadn't even seen the original uh, film. Uh, and I'm not the world's biggest fan of following his first film, which, okay, that's, you know, that's on a very low budget and it's hard to hold someone's first film like sort of against them, especially something like Oppenheimer, where he's demanding you see it in 70 millimeter IMAX. It's very different ballparks we're playing in. Uh, so discounting following, uh, to me, this is on the lower end of this. I, I didn't actually really like the back and forth as far as, jumping in and out of very similar conversations across time. Uh, these sort of philosophical debates or arguments about, you know, uh, should we, we will, we must, uh, well, we did it. Uh, should we have done that? Uh, and now can you be trusted to have done this thing? We asked, you? I don't know. Like I'm somewhat with you that I was more engaged with the Peacock documentary that Christopher Nolan participated in. Cause it's like, just give me, what the man said, just give me some of the thought process of the people that were surrounding him as far as helping him. Um, that being said, I admire Oppenheimer because I'm like, well, okay, you know, it's going to be very a very talky piece and you really amp it up. But I, even as I was experiencing it, I'm like, this feels like a little bit of song and dance. And I can kind of see the strings of how you, you don't have full confidence to just have these people just sit in a room. You need to like bombard us with the loud score. Uh, you need to jump around to a different time period. You need to go from black and white to color. Yes. I, I don't know. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're asking me right now and granted, I just saw Oppenheimer a week ago and tenant. I watched at home cause I'm not a maniac trying to catch COVID during 2020. <laughs> I would choose to watch tenant again. And maybe it's the recency bias of like, well, I don't really remember tenant too much. So let's give that another whirl. That could very well be the case. I'm definitely not as high on Oppenheimer as I feel like people, it's sort of the Tom Cruise Top Gun Maverick effect. People want to race to say cinema is back. And clearly with this and Barbie, these are two runaway successes. And you can't discount the fact that Nolan and company opened a movie where people basically sit around and talk and they blow something up on screen for a few minutes and then go back to talking. And it is, I mean, it, it outgrossed Mission Impossible. It's out, you know, that's. Yeah. So you cannot take that away. This is wildly successful, and I love seeing the crowded theaters, even now when it's at the movie theater day a week later. And it's a sea of pink, 
And it's people like a full sold out showing come out in the mid afternoon for IMAX Oppenheimer. It's great to see the variety. It's great to see people coming out and making it going the theater event status. And maybe maybe if they'd done it for Tenet, you know, we would have been back sooner. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I know that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were you know uh, the victims of the atomic bomb, but but so was so was Mission Impossible Seven. Like this is. <laughs> Which was a better movie, by the way. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know what you said about the whole, like, you know audiovisual experience that Nolan wants to bring you. Like this isn't a film; it's it's an audiovisual. Like I kept thinking about that Michael Bay commercial where he demands things be awesome. Like I feel like Nolan. <laughs> that's where Nolan is now. But you know we've got an object of terrible power here sure. in in Oppenheimer. Yeah. We've got one in Sphere and another in. The Fellowship of the Ring. It's interesting. Sphere, the object of terrible power, it's, it's really more just an object of power. The people, the inhabitants, the, the individuals who get that power and what they do with it is really what make it terrible. Don't don't give me that shit, Oppie. People are terrible. We've learned our lesson. Like everyone, if they get something powerful, they'll do something terrible with it. <laughs> Which actually is that's what happens in The Fellowship of the Ring, too. We just have to find short elijah wood and that's really the only one we can we can trust but even he has to have rudy like carry him his ass along to do so <laughs> like really no one it's saying humanity cannot be trusted with with things of power right well at least at least the ring was forged uh for that that exact purpose by a terrible being it's just doing its thing that's just it it's like yes yeah okay so you but sphere so you don't think that the the aliens in Sphere knew they're, they're they're rolling the ball out, and you don't think they're sitting there being like, "Hey, watch this! Watch, watch how they're going to fuck with each other." You don't think so? That it's it's basically alien Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O just <laughs> sitting there watching Dustin Hoffman and Sam Jackson fuck with each other underwater. <laughs> I hope not. Hey, hey, we don't know. We don't know who made this Sphere. Why? It's it's just there. And and I like it that. Is a being of light that has spiky gelled hair that looks an awful lot like Johnny Knoxville and probably has like an alligator biting its nipple at the time because <laughs> the other one dared it too. That's that's what I'm guessing. And yeah, certainly Oppenheimer in, in, in Oppenheimer we got Oh uh I, I do feel a lot of uh a lot, a lot of emotions come up because in those moments where you're like, "Oh, Hitler's already killed himself. Do, do we need to continue this?" And you know, these scientists who who are just—they're scientists. They are scientists. They're they're doing this out of uh, kind of a loyalty to the country and all that. But yeah, you know, the thought of the H bomb was already in 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 the works while they were working on this. They, what they didn't have, they didn't have Linda Hamilton and Arnold come through your fucking office window and shoot you in the ass and say, look here, Oppenheimer, you ain't going to do this shit anymore because you're going to fuck up the world. (laughs) At least I believe it was Joe Morgan. I was like, all right, all right, whatever you want, I'll stop. (laughs) We'll go destroy the plans. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and Killian Murphy gives a great performance, but, but like I think about Miles Dyson, you know, holding that that object <laughs> above the bond. <laughs> yeah, that, that that stays with me for my man. life. Those fucking guards after they shot me up, 
I ain't giving you a running start. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> I just want to look you in the eye before I drop that thing and take you out with me. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, I, I think I think the three films really do complement each other uh, really well. They're three very different films. Which one do you like the best, Webb? Because <laughs> you have two. You have one that's already a classic. There's enough. There's 20 years, two decades for Lord of the Rings Fellowship Ring. And I think it's safe to say another 30 years from now is still going to be seen as a classic. I don't know about Oppenheimer, but certainly right now, people fucking love it. But I know which one you love. No, you? no, no. You know, and and <laughs> I watched Sphere again recently. But <laughs> let me tell you something. Here's what I've learned. Is that I often think about the movie sphere and the novel sphere kind of the kind of together. They really meld for me because I I read the book and watched the movie very around the same time, and so it's hard for me to separate the two. So even as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking about the things in the book, and they fill in a lot of the gaps. So I can't, in good conscience, say that sphere is better than you know the Fellowship of the Ring. I, I had not seen Sphere, and I've got a lot of experience with Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. I think it's safe to say that's the best one. Uh, Oppenheimer does not come close to Fellowship of the Ring, uh, nor 10 years from now, I think, will people be considering it as as such. But, you know, enjoy yourself now. That's not to be, you know, uh, raining on anyone's parade. I had a lot of fun with Sphere, and I'd not I'd not seen it, and I'm like, what what uh, trash has, has web wedged in here? And it still was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I doubt I'll ever uh, compete with you on rewatching. Um, uh, but you, you did say something interesting when you, you were talking about fellowship as far as it was forged for an evil purpose by an evil person or being. And so the people who are in control of it, the fellowship, at least in that film that will break apart, but our heroes, they know there, I mean, there's some disagreement, but effectively our lead characters, Frodo, uh, they know what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, Sphere is the unknown, which is much like my viewing experience. They don't know what to make of this. Is this a weapon? Is it a means of communication? What the fuck? What What is this thing? So they're 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 flying in blind, and you, it's hard to blame them. Oppenheimer, they they know what they're making. It just seems like they're curious if they can do so, but they know once they have it, what they're introducing to the world. So removing. Christopher Nolan, which he would hate, out of the equation, or Peter Jackson, or Barry Levinson, his <laughs> fear. <laughs> I said Barry Levinson like he didn't have a great career, but, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't get quite the taste of sphere out of my mouth when I said Barry Levinson when I was putting him <laughs> next to Jackson and Nolan. Removing what they were able to accomplish with those those scripts, the the end result, which concept do you like the most? Because it's, it's slightly different as far as our lead characters, as far as their knowledge of what they're doing with this powerful object. Which one do you like best? Which do you like, and you would like to see applied to another film. If you can remove the sphereness, the Levin, <laughs> Barry Levinson-ness from sphere. Uh, you know, the tried and true one is Oppenheimer because there's a great line that Patton Oswalt says in one of his earlier stand-ups is science. We're all about coulda, not shoulda. <laughs> and it, it's a tried and true trope, you know. Um, even in Sphere, there's a little bit of that, but not quite. Uh, and I think that's the one that's going to resonate always. Michael Crichton very much is all that he 
beats that concept into you in all the science fiction. And that honestly is a very big aspect of science fiction. Uh, the, uh, the An object of terrible power created, and we don't know why, and we all have to deal with it. So let, let me give a little bit of love to Oppenheimer. I don't want this to be a... There you, you know. go. It's been kicked around <laughs> enough, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not like people are throwing fucking parades for Oppenheimer. Um <laughs> It is, it is, it is amazing. It's success, but not quite as amazing as the film we're going to discuss next week, which will be kicking off the the first time we're going to do a trilogy backwards. And it's only because I think it's hard to separate Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I did, it, it gave me a little bit of joy that I read an article today that, uh, for all of the sort of public, like, it's great. It's great that people are going back to the cinema. That Christopher Nolan detests that Barbie opened on his weekend, quote, his <laughs> July weekend. And, and I think he's really going to hate that these two films will always be intertwined. Uh, I love it. So that's why, you know, for you know next month, we'll go, we'll work our way backwards because I think we need to discuss Barbie right next to Oppenheimer, just as Nolan intended. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. of Hollywood hits such as Transformers. And I demand things to be awesome. Awesome pussycat. Awesome barbecue. Awesome pull. That's why I'm getting Verizon files. With the awesomeness upload and download speeds. Isn't that right, awesome Verizon guy? Yes, sir. Blows cable away. Introducing upload speeds up to 25 times faster than cable. And you know what word for that is? Awesome? Bingo. This is fiber optic straight to your door. This is BIOS. This is big. 